Hello, my name is Brian Hasbrook with the Brooklyn Public Library. Today is July 21st, 2015. We're at the Central Branch of the Brooklyn Public Library. I'm joined by Mark Adams for Our Streets Are Stories, an oral history project. Uh, Mark, why don't you tell me a little bit about where you're from? Well, I was born in Crown Heights section of Brooklyn. Oh, I should talk right in. You're good. I was born in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn on uh, February 15th, uh, 46. I was born at a very young age. <laughs> Little humor's all right. Uh, and uh, I lived in, you know, my whole, whole, we had four generations in the house. We lived on 1171 Sterling Place, which is, uh, uh, well, it's not very far from here. And uh, we had four generations in the house. It was a huge house. It was uh, four stories plus a, plus a ground floor, plus a basement, plus a roof garden on top. And uh, my, my mother's parents were living there. My father was living there. And my mother and me and my aunt and uncle and my great-grandfather was living there. And uh, so it was, it was a multi-generational house. I was living there till I was four and then we moved to uh, Park Slope. We lived on 8th Avenue and President Street. We lived there for, for uh, uh, from 1950. We moved in there, it was September 1950, and we, we moved out on January 1st, 53. It was my brother who was gonna be born soon and we needed a bigger place. So we moved over to Sterling Place, number 960, which is near, not far from Nostrand Avenue, and uh, we lived there for till, what was it? I think it was October 31st, 58. Then we moved back to this neighborhood and back to, uh, to Park Slope. And I've been here basically ever since, except for times when I was away for school. And I went to public school nine, which is uh, PS9, which is in this neighborhood. It's over on Vanderbilt Avenue. You'll see two red brick buildings. I went, the small one, I went from kindergarten to grade five, and the big one across the street, I went from sixth, seventh, and eighth. The little school, the little building is, was built in 1867. It's a landmark building, so thank God they can't destroy it. And uh, it's still a school. It's not number nine anymore, but it's still a school. The building across the street is no longer a school. It's people are living in there. And that building was put up around 1897. It's uh, sort of like a late Victorian architecture. And the little building's like a typical uh, old American red, red brick schoolhouse. And, uh, and I went to high school. I went downtown uh, on Lafayette Avenue to uh, Adelphi Academy, which was a, uh, a private school that went from kindergarten to the to the 12th grade, I went from the 9th to the 12th grade there, and then, then I went off to college. I went to Alfred University upstate. And uh, I've seen a lot of changes in the, you know, in the neighborhood. Now, here, I'll start off with the Brooklyn Public Library. I started coming here, I was, think it was about four or five years old, and it was, I, I can say it's, it's, it's different, but it's also the same, if you can, if you can imagine that. Um, 
the atmosphere and the general appearance of the inside of this building, of course, the outside is exactly the same. It was built in 1941 and it hasn't changed. Uh, it, if, I, if, if you were to come in here, let's say, 60 years ago, and then to compare it with what it's now, it, what it is now, it doesn't really look. The atmosphere is basically the same though there have been many, many changes in the way they fixed up the rooms and rearranged the rooms. Now, the children's section, where I went when I was, when I was little, is in the same place. It looks basically the same, except, of course, that the books are arranged differently. I think there are more desks. And then what used to be the Ingersoll room is now a, uh, is part of it. That used to be the, what they call the Ingersoll room. And that was a room where they had big, big chairs where people could just sit and read. I think Ingersoll was like one of the, I think he might have been the first director of the library, I'm not sure, but he, he was big in founding the library. And uh, I remember, um, let me think now. Um, the upstairs, uh, the upstairs rooms with the history and biography and science and all these up, I think that they were basically the same. And down on the first floor is where they probably made most of the changes. Now, I'm gonna, now I can talk about other things in the neighborhood. Um, now back in the, I can talk about 7th Avenue. Um, 7th Avenue, has go gone through a lot of changes, a big evolution. Back in the early 50s, I remember there were, again, the basic appearance is the same, and the buildings are the same, but, but, but the, but the uh, stores that occupy these buildings are different. Um, now, there were no nail places back in those days, and there were not as many banks there were, uh, you had regular butcher shops. I mean, real butcher shops where you had, when you went in, there was this old German guy <laughs> and his family, you know, who were, who, who were uh, behind the counter and they would talk to you, you know. You didn't have 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds. You had the guy who owned the, owned the store. And uh, I know one store, one butcher shop, M. Hart's, this is 19, this is the early 50s, you went in there and there was uh, slaughter on the floor and there was, the, the, there was this butcher, he was German, and he uh, gave you a, always gave me a slice of bologna when I walked in. There were, you know, it was, it was very, everything was very personal in those days. And then where the, where the Citibank is, there was a place called Newman's. Now, Newman's was, a, they had more than one, uh, there was, I think they had another, they had two or two, maybe even three in Brooklyn. It was a big ice cream parlor. When you walk in, it had a big glass window, and you walked in, you had these big cases of candy, and they, would, and they had ice cream and, and uh, sherbet, and they would put it in these white boxes. And I remember, uh, you get used to get a, a pint or something like that uh, for 25 cents. I mean, everything was so inexpensive in those days. Uh, and uh, there was another, there was a little library on 7th Avenue. 
it was uh, it was about the size of a candy store. It was called Warm Rats, and they would lend out books. I think that was like you could borrow a book. It might have been ten. They might have charged you ten cents for a book, but it was a. Uh, a little lending library, because in those days people read much more than they do now. I mean, back in the 50s and 60s, we didn't have, you didn't have uh, all this electronics. People just, people read a lot more than they do now. Uh, so they had, uh, they didn't have a bookshop though. That The first bookstore opened, uh, to my knowledge, my first one opened in 1970, the community bookstore on 7th Avenue. That opened in 70, and it's still there today. It's amazing how they, how they were able to, to, to hang on. Because there were other bookstores that opened and closed, and then Barnes & Noble opened, I think it was back in the around 90 or so. I don't remember exactly, in the early 90s. Uh, and of course, they're, you know, they're great, but they didn't put they they didn't put the community bookstore out of business. They the other stores that opened the Bookworm they had two of those they went out of business. Um, but they were small. It was very small. Then there was a, there were one or two used bookshops that that were there for a few years and they went out. I you know I, the thing is that uh, the reason that on Seventh Avenue things go out is because uh, they can't afford the rent. Uh, that's why the restaurants, uh, th I mean, it was, it's a great restaurant uh, street. There were, used to be, I mean, I remember the restaurants back in the 50s and early 60s. There was a place called the Villa Giulia, that was one Italian restaurant. And then over on Flatbush Avenue, there was, of course, Michelle's, which is famous if you, if you, for Brooklynites. It opened in 1910 and closed in 72. It was like everybody, it was like juniors, everybody knew it. I used to, I've eaten there a few times when I was a kid. It was like, it had a real 19th century atmosphere in there. And then you had a few others. You had an Italian restaurant, Angelo's, which was right across the street on Flatbush Avenue. Not far, this is not far from Plaza Street. This is Flatbush and Plaza. And then, uh, then of course, there were uh, these restaurants like hung, hung out for years and years and years. But then, in, starting in the 80s, uh, late 70s, 80s, a lot of new restaurants came on 7th Avenue. Chinese, uh, Mexican, a uh, big variety of restaurants. And the restaurants do well, most of them, um, because they're, uh, they're expensive, but they're not as expensive as, as places in Manhattan. Um, now, the kosher delis used to have a lot in the neighborhood. We had Harry's over on Washington Avenue, right? Yeah, we had the Ben and Souls on Franklin Avenue, uh, and then we had Raiden's, and then uh, these places, in the early 70s, they closed. Um, a, one, a new kosher deli opened in the late, well, the early 90s one opened. It stayed open for a few years. It was on 7th Avenue near, near Union Street. They closed. I don't know why they closed. They had such good food in there. Uh, typical kosher deli, uh, the typical Jewish <laughs> Jewish waiters, <laughs> and uh, you know who talk to you and they joke with you, and, <laughs> so, and uh, why they close? I don't know. I have a feeling that they just couldn't pay the rents. 
because that's the trouble. That's why everything is so expensive. These uh, rents are too high. Uh, I remember, you know, it's not just the apartments and, and, and the houses, it's everything else. I remember when I was a kid uh, in the neighborhood here, you could buy one of those houses for $18,000. Uh, rents in Brooklyn in the 50s was $60, $70 a month. And if you came home with, a, you came home with $100 a month, $100 a week, let's say uh, you made $400 a month, $100 a week, you pay 60 or 70 on rent. You were, people, were, people were better off in those days economically. You don't realize it. They were ahead. They didn't have as much money, but they didn't have to spend as much. So they saved more. They had more money. <laughs> uh, we're better off 60 years ago. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, uh, take a few minutes to think. Lost my train of thought for a minute. <laughs> Could you uh, speak to your experience when you went upstate for college versus being at home? Oh, yeah. And what did you notice that was different? What did you like? What did you not Oh, like? yeah. I went up to Alfred University, and uh, I loved the wide open spaces. I loved it up there, and I still go and visit all the time. I have a friend who lives, still lives near, near there, and I, 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 I go up every couple of years. Uh, I've been doing that ever since I graduated. It's, uh, a it's a small town in Allegheny County, New York. There are uh, 500 people in the town, plus the university. And when I was there, I think there were about 1,500 people uh, in the university. I think there are a little more now, maybe there are two or 3,000, but uh, that was the uh, uh, private college that I went to. There's also a state, there's also a SUNY there too. And, uh, it was, it was a small town, but it, it, but in a, in a way, growing up in Brooklyn was like growing up in a small town. I mean, it, it's, it's a town that has a real, it has a street with all the old stores, with all the stores on it. The town was founded in 18, I think it was 1807 it was founded, and the university was founded, I think, in 1836. And uh, everybody knew one each each other in the town. So uh, it had this, this atmosphere, and it still does. And uh, you still don't have to lock your doors at night. And uh, I remember when I was up in college, you'd buy a hamburger for 25 cents, 30 cents. Uh, and even now, everything is like 40% of, of what it is in New York City. And uh, it's, it's in the mountains, so it's beautiful, and you have the old, all the buildings are old. And they, when, they, when they put up new buildings, they, uh, they uh, don't change the character of the campus because they make the new buildings conform to the architecture of the old buildings. And they don't build, they don't make any high-rises. You don't see, you see, you see two and three-story buildings, and they just, just blend in somehow, that, which is an ingenious thing to do. And uh, so, in a way, it was you know I was very glad to get out was out of the city and into the into the country. And uh, now let me think what else I want to say about the uh, about the city uh, about Brooklyn. Uh, 
Um, now, there were big changes in Brooklyn during the late 60s. Um, back in the 50s and the early 60s, Brooklyn was safe. Most areas you could go, even at night, were safe. Um, my grandparents walking around uh, in the streets at night, no one thought of, uh, not in this neighborhood, not in Crown Heights, no one thought of being robbed or anything like that. There was, there was some crime, there was robbery, but you didn't have much murders, you didn't have drugs, that was the main thing, there were no drugs in those days, or at least if there were, they were only in certain areas of the city and they didn't infect other areas. Um, but there was a big change in the late 60s. In the mid-60s, the crime started to increase in some neighborhoods. And there were areas like East New York, Brownsville, where my father came from Brownsville. That, that was, an, a, was a good neighborhood. It was a very nice neighborhood. It was all Russian Jews there. When I was growing up, we used to go down there, and there were still people selling all kinds of things in the street. They were selling herring and all kinds of things in the street on, on Belmont and Rockaway Avenue in, in, in Brownsville, East New York. And uh, um, we used to go to the, there used to be a baths there, a, like a Turkish bath, it was called the Russian baths. And it was, it was built by Russian Jewish immigrants and we used, people used to go there for a sauna, it was a sauna. And I used to go there when I was a kid with my father and some other relatives. And I really enjoyed that. And that you get, you get, eat afterwards, you go down there into where they had a, a big, uh, uh, it was a big furnace, furnace. And uh, there were wooden benches. And they used to uh, uh, hit you with oak leaves and give you a rub down. It was just like, it was real old world. It was just like they did in Russia back in the 19th century. And uh, then you got, then you went into a freezing cold shower, and it, and it felt so good after that. Uh, so there was a lot in that neighborhood. But in the late 60s, people started making an exodus. Well, st even before that, people were going, moving to the suburbs, moving to other parts of Brooklyn. You know, as they were getting more money, they were moving out. But in the late 60s, you had the riots. In 67, 60, 66, 67, you had riots. So, there was an exodus, an exodus, so the neighborhood entirely changed. And uh, then you have Crown Heights, which also changed. The only difference with Crown Heights, what saved Crown Heights, is that starting in the early 50s, the Hasidim started moving in. It was basically a Jewish neighborhood, mostly Jews of East European background were living there. And there was some, there was an, uh, there were also you go down to Albany Avenue, there were Irish. And uh, then you go down to St. Mark's Avenue, there were Italians. So you had, it, it was a European ethnic neighborhood. There were some African Americans. They got along with everybody fine. And my, my grandparents, if they had African Americans right across the street. We, they were, we were all friends. I had well, the first one of my earliest friends was a kid named David who was African American. I remember I was about three years old. He used to come to the house. Uh, so everybody, everybody got along in those days. Um, then, but the big change came in the, uh, uh, came in the late 60s when 
that's when really the crime started getting bad. You had the drugs. And uh, neighborhoods like Franklin Avenue, Nostrand Avenue, which, it, uh, which had uh, nice shops, candy store, candy shops, I mean, high-class stores, you know, restaurants. They were very high-class areas. They all it all changed. By, by from 68 to 72, that's when I, those years things changed. 72, it was entirely different. You, you could it was it was uh, uh, all the all the a lot of the people had moved away. Some some hung out there anyway. You know, hung out. A lot of them moved. A lot of the, all those restaurants and all those bakeries and all those candy stores and delis. They all walk and dress shops they all closed up because they were you know because of the crime and also the people weren't you know weren't using them anymore um crown heights was a little different what saved it as, as i said was the hasidim they started moving in in the early 50s and then about the mid 50s people from jamaica started coming and they were they were buying houses and uh they were adding to the neighborhood now, Hasidim were a small group in the beginning, but by about 59, 1960, they had pretty much occupied a good part of what they occupy now. And by the uh, 70s, they, they, they started, their uh, numbers started to grow, and uh, eventually they uh, have everything from uh, Eastern Parkway to, to uh, Empire Boulevard and everything from from uh, Nostrand Avenue down to uh, Troy Avenue is their area. And they're, even, they're even going beyond that. And of course, they, they save the neighborhood. They have, if you go to Kingston Avenue, they've got nice stores. You've got religious stores, religious bookstores, religious article stores, all kinds of restaurants, all kinds of, all kinds of food stores. And uh, it's, uh, it's, real, it's a uh, religious and cultural center. Now, the, the other neighborhoods uh, through the 70s and 80s we had a we had a crime wave in the city basically um, and it was mostly fueled by drugs and what I learned the people who were doing most of the crime were not the people who had been living here for a long time they weren't the African Americans who were living here for, for the generations and uh, they, what they were, what, who, the ones who were doing it, were people who were coming from out of the city. They weren't coming from, they weren't from the people, they weren't the people from the island. There were a lot of people from Haiti moving in because of, what was, because of the government situation down there. A lot of Haitians were moving in and people from the other islands were moving in and they weren't doing it. It was people from some of the southern states that were coming in. Who were doing it, and I, I, I just learned that pretty just recently, uh, and it was almost all youth, like teenagers, you know, 14, 14 to twenty-five. That that group, men, boys, you know, uh, women weren't doing it, older people weren't doing it. It's always the young young people doing it, and uh, it was fueled mostly by, by drugs, but it, it but it caused a lot of people to move, move away, and it caused a lot of people to despair of the city. The city was having financial problems, and in, in 1975, we were afraid it would just go bankrupt. 
And of course, there were always prophets of doom, you know, uh, uh, saying that the city is, you know, is going to die, and you know, and it, sometimes they become self-fulfilling prophecies. So it's not a good idea to do that, uh, <laughs> because you say something, you know, hey, something's going to go downhill, you know, it, it will, because people are going to believe it and they're going to act on that information. But fortunately, it didn't happen. The opposite happened. Starting in the mid-80s, uh, people started moving back. Things started getting, getting safer. Um, one thing is because the rents in Manhattan were getting so high, and people could not live there anymore. And so, so younger people who were moving to Manhattan, wanted to move to Manhattan, they were, they were living on the island, on Long Island in New Jersey, See, what happened, you had a cycle. You had people from Brooklyn and Queens moving out to Long Island and moving out to New Jersey and Westchester, and their kids were moving back to the city. That's what was happening. So you had a lot of them who wanted to go to Manhattan, and then you had also people from other parts of the country who wanted to go to Manhattan, and uh, they couldn't, so they started coming to Brooklyn. So Brooklyn started to, to, to change. And... Uh, were coming to Park Slope, and they were coming to Brooklyn Heights. And then later on, they started mo moving to other areas, the areas that you wouldn't go into. They were moving into, into Bed-Stuy later on, and into, into uh, uh, what do you call it? Eventually, they started going all the way down, not too far from, uh, from Brownsville, East New York. That's where they're starting to move in now. And these are areas that back in the 70s or 80s you wouldn't go. I, go I, I feel perfectly safe during the day walking through these areas now. These are areas that I haven't, didn't go th I haven't been in since I was a kid. When I was a kid, we went to these areas. They were fine. Uh, then for so many years, you couldn't. Now I can go back into them. And it's really nice to see these old areas again. It's not the same people. The people who lived there in those days are long gone, uh, though you'd be surprised that you'll see some older people. And I was just there the other day. I took a walk from, I, I took, went out to Forest Hills by the subway. This is what I do in the summer. And then I walked from Forest Hills down parallel to the Interborough Parkway, which they call the Jackie Robinson now. I still call it the Interborough because that's, that's what I learned from when I was a kid. And uh, I walked down the Interborough all the way to Brooklyn, all the way to, to Brownsville, uh, to East New York. That's about eight miles. And I was walking through East New York, and I felt perfectly safe. And you, it's interesting that you'll see younger people there. Yeah, that's what I, so I, I, as I said, I saw some younger people, and uh, they looked like they were homesteading, sort of. And uh, because this is the newest area that people are moving into. And then I, you go to these areas, you'll see some very elderly people. And these, I think, are the people who just hung on. They've stayed. These people have probably been living there since, since the 1920s or 30s or 40s and just stayed on through the 70s and 80s because they were used to it. They didn't have to, the rent was cheap. So they just hung out there and they're still there. And they're sort of, it's sort of like a, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, uh, 
be uh, an oasis, sort of. Certain areas have, have people like that who just hung on. And uh, so we came from a, so things are getting, have gotten much better in the city. And I, uh, I don't talk about politics very much, but I believe that it was no, no one was more responsible for, 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 for doing good for this city than Mayor Giuliani. I think he did a fantastic job. Well, I think Mayor Lindsay was a good, was a good mayor. Uh, Mayor, Mayor Beam uh, saved the city financially. Uh, Mayor Koch, I think, uh, was, sh should have been a, a comedian or something like that. I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he I mean, he, he did, you know, he just insulted people and and told people don't don't give money to the homeless, you know. Uh, if you feel guilty, go to a psychiatrist. I mean, this is what kind of thing to have to tell people. You're supposed to help people. You're not supposed to, 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 to uh, feel guilty because you're not. You, you're not supposed to uh, uh, feel good if you don't give. If you don't give, you're supposed to give. Uh, he's telling people, uh, giving people the uh, the wrong moral advice. Um, and he didn't really do anything. The homeless uh, situation in the, in the, in the 80s was, was bad. No one was doing anything for them. The only people who were doing things for them were the people who were handing out some money so they could at least eat, you know? And this clown doesn't do anything. Now, Giuliani, when he comes in, now, Dinkins, I think, was meant well, but he wasn't very effective. Uh, he was a good man, but not a good man. Uh, Giuliani was a man who really made this, really got the city back. He made the city safe. He had the police on his side. He he cleaned up Times Square. He got the, the organized crime out of out of a lot of things, and uh, no one tried to bump him off because he was never involved in organized crime. He he was beholden to nobody, so he they would no one could no one would think of him as a double crosser. So that's why no one, no one tried to bump him off, even though he went after them. Uh, and he managed to, to uh, he made the city more livable. For example, he, he said, when you sit in the subway, take one seat. You don't put your stuff on somebody else's, where somebody else should sit. He, uh, if, you, uh, if you hunk the horn unnecessarily, you're gonna get a $350 fine. These, I think, were very good. He wanted to improve the quality of life of the city, and he did it. If people were upset about something, he would stand up for them. Uh, for example, at the, at the Brooklyn uh, Museum, there was some type of an exhibit back in the late 90s that, that Christians in, in, in New York, Roman Catholics especially, were, were very much against because they felt that it, that it was... Uh, um, it, 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 you know, it, what was, what's the right word? Uh, it was, it felt it was some type of a sacrilege, and uh, he was out there campaigning for them, pushing for them. Not, the, I don't know how he felt about it personally, but uh, he certainly uh, was behind the behind the the community. And then I know when there was a when a plane went down back around uh, late nineties. He was out there making sure, asking questions. He was always advocating for the people of the city. And uh, I think he, uh, he should get the Nobel Prize. Of, if there's a Nobel Prize for mayors, he should get it. 
Um, and I think, uh, and of course, after 9-11, he showed great leadership. I mean, he's a natural born leader. And I think he's so honest that uh, you could put you could put a million dollars in front of him, you wouldn't have to count it. Uh, so what? If he so what? He he chose one man who, who who wasn't so not so good. I think there was I forgot the situation, but there was huh? Bernie Carey. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one man wasn't so good that he chose. But look, what is he? Uh, uh, he's not God. I mean, he makes mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. You can't. Everybody's responsible for their own uh, for their for their own they don't. Uh, he chose somebody he thought might be good, and the man, the man that betrayed his trust. Can't blame him for that. Uh, and then Bloomberg, when he came in, Bloomberg was a good man. Uh, he followed a lot of Giuliani's uh, uh, policies. Uh, I think his idea of, no, of, of his crackdown on sodas and things like that, I think it's a good idea. I think he's absolutely right when it comes to uh, smoking and, the, and drinking these beverages that cause uh, illness. Uh, I think you, you can go too far with that, though. You know, you can't be an Annie. <laughs> I mean, he's not an Annie. Uh, but I think basically he, he, had, he had the, you know, he had at heart, he had the good of the people. And, and don't forget, he, he uh, uh, did, did this for nothing. He didn't have to do this. He did it for nothing. Uh, so I think a lot goes to him, too. This new mayor, I can't, I don't know. He wants to, dis, it seems to be, I think this new mayor, I think his work is so secret that even he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he, uh, he wants to discontinue things that people want, something to do with the, like, with the charter schools. He wants to discontinue that which is a mistake because people want it. And it's good for, it's good for, for, for kids who, 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 who uh, are smart enough to go to a private school but can't afford it so they can go to a charter school. He wants to discontinue that and put the money into, into kindergarten, into pre-K. Uh, he wants to discontinue the horses uh, at, uh, in uh, 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 Central Park. And uh, people want that. He wants to discontinue something to do with cabs. I think he wants to. Uh, there's a rule that if you if you if you flag down a cab in Manhattan, they have to take you to Brooklyn or to Queens to the outer boroughs if you ask. They can't refuse you. He wants to change that. Uh, I don't know what he what he's doing. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 he doesn't make sense to me. Um, I think what else I was going to say. Uh, um, you spoke briefly about earlier uh, David, your neighbor. Do you have any other memories of your neighbors? Oh, I have a lot of memories of neighbors. When, when uh, we lived over on, when I, my first four years when I lived over on Sterling Place, there was, a, there was uh, uh, we were living near Albany Avenue, which is between Kings, you know, between Kingston and Albany Avenue. There are two little streets that are like dead ends. One is Hampton Place and one is Virginia Place. And uh, 
the house was on Virginia Place and Sterling Place. And right across the street, down towards Albany Avenue, there was a uh, candy store. Remember Mrs. Davis, who owned the candy store, a lady from Scotland. And she was so nice. I used to walk in there. And she was so nice with the people who walked in there. And the people down in Albany were Irish, so she, Scottish and Irish. They were very much alike. And uh, I, I used to go and get these sodas in there. They were 10 cents a piece. Everything in there was a nickel. I mean, you get everything. You get penny, things for a penny, things for a nickel. Uh, the expensive stuff was a dime. <laughs> And she, I remember when she died, it was in June of 55. Uh, she just had a heart attack and passed away. And uh, it was everybody, everybody was like, missed her, because everybody liked her. And then there was Gillespie's funeral home down on Albany Avenue. And I remember Mr. Gillespie, he, he was tall. He looked like, uh, I don't know, he, he wore this black, these black robes all the time, black suits and a black hat. He was very thin and probably about six foot two or three, and he used to come and talk to my grandfather all the time. And he was a friend of my grandfather. My grandmother wouldn't let him in the house because she thought that his clothes were dirty. <laughs> and then across the street, then there was this African-American kid, uh, David, who was about my age. And then across the street, there was this kid, there was a Schatz family, and, and there was a kid named Walter who was about my age also. And uh, then when we lived over on, on 8th Avenue and President Street, uh, we lived at 108th Avenue, and I remember, the, I remember some friends uh, who, who lived in there on, a, on my floor, floor uh, two boys. One of, them's, one of them had a name Lloyd, I remember him. And then there was Mrs. Fisher who lived next, next door to us. And I remember the super, uh, Mr. S Mr. Stoom, he was a German immigrant. This was not that long after World War II, and there were a lot of German immigrants. <laughs> and then there was Mike, the old Irishman, uh, who was a, sh a little short guy with a brogue, and he wore this, uh, he was a doorman, he wore this uh, red uh, uh, sort of maroon jacket. He was a very nice guy, you know. Everybody was very nice, you know. And we lived over on 960 Sterling Place. Oh, well, we had a lot of neighbors. They, they used to sit outside in front of the house on lawn chairs. I know when you, different ethnic neighborhoods with different, you know, different ethnic groups did things differently. If you went to an Irish neighborhood, everybody was sitting out on the stoop. <laughs> That's what they did. If you were in an Italian neighborhood, they would be downstairs they'd be downstairs in the basement where they had sort of like a basement, uh, uh, sort of, they had sort of like a living room in the basement. That's where the Italians used to... Uh... Okay, well, and uh, because in traditional Italian families, you were not supposed to go into the living room. The, the, the lady of the house didn't let you go into the living room. I've seen this all the time because we've had a, my parents had Italian friends and we never went to the living room, went downstairs. <laughs> they, were so, they were very uh, neurotic about their living rooms. <laughs> and then you go to a Jewish neighborhood, well, if you went inside the house, everybody would be sitting in the kitchen. And we did that at home too. Uh, the kitchen, the people would sit. And, you, and uh, if you're outside in the Jewish neighborhood, you, you can still see it, 
When you go to Brighton Beach, where they have the Russian Jews, they set out in front of the house on lawn chairs. <laughs> and in 960 Sterling Place, everybody, was, a lot of Jew, Jewish tenants, they were sitting out on lawn chairs. And I was making, you know, I made some friends, and uh, I remember uh, Dorian Ritchie. Uh, Dory was a little younger than me. No, Richie was a little younger than me. Dory, uh, close to my age. And uh, then there were the Sorkins. And uh, I remember once uh, we all used to ride out on bikes. Uh, the kids had tri tricycles. I had a tricycle. And I used to, uh, this is I was seven, I used to ride on a tricycle would fall over sometimes, you know, and I never really get hurt. Then when I was about nine, I started riding a bike. And I had the training wheels first, and then I took them off, and, and I was riding the bike. And I remember once uh, there were two kids who were a little, they were, they were nice kids, but they were a little on the tough side. There was, there was uh, Louie and... Uh, there was another, who was the other kid? Uh, uh, I don't remember the other kid's name right now. But there were these two kids um, who used to, uh, yeah, they, they, I don't know if they got into a lot of trouble, but they used to kid around. I mean, once what they did is to my bike, uh, well, actually, they did it, to, yeah, they did it to my brother's bike. My brother got the tricycle. What they did is they put a lock on his bike so he couldn't ride it. <laughs> he finally got the lock off. But that's the type of stunts they used to do, you know. <laughs> I was about 10 years old then. My brother was about three. <laughs> Robert was the kid's name. It was Robert and Louie. And uh, Robert was a little Irish kid and Louie was Puerto Rican. <laughs> and then there was, at the end of the block, there was a strange family now. These were the Legrands, and they lived on Brooklyn Avenue, right near, on Sterling Place, right near St. Gregory's Church, uh, which is still there. It's an old church, an old Irish parish. There was, a, there was a family there. I don't even sure if it was a family. I don't even know what it was. They were African-American, and it was, it was this Mr. Legrand. At least that's what he called himself. I don't know what his real name was. And there were a lot of kids out there. I mean, it's like... He had a lot of women in there, and I think they used to dress up like nuns and, and uh, uh, ask for money. It was a strange, uh, strange, every, everybody in Brooklyn knew about them. A lot of people in Brooklyn knew about them. I think the police did too. <laughs> uh, he, he was some type of a, uh, he, he wasn't on the up and up, let's put it that way. And there were, uh, there were a lot of little kids there, and uh, they used to come, they, they never did anything really bad. Sometimes they'd start fights and things like that. Um, they'd throw snowballs. Remember they were throwing snowballs at me once. Uh, that, that's about it, that's really about it. It, it, was, it was a basically safe neighborhood. Um, then uh, we, moved, we moved out of there in, in 58 and uh, we moved over to, uh, to uh, uh, 50 Plaza Street, right here in the neighborhood. And uh, I remember Underhill Avenue in those days. Underhill Avenue was, they, they had a luncheonette, a very nice uh, 
old-fashioned German ice cream parlor. I don't know how long they were there. They were they're like probably there forever. And they, were, they stayed on till about 72. See, that's when the things were changing. And that was a place where I used to hang out all the time, go with my friends. And uh, there was a, uh, a grocery store, Sailor's Grocery Store, where they would sell all kinds of uh, produce. And uh, all these stores were run by immigrants, European immigrants. Mr. Thaler was a, was a, a Jewish immigrant from Poland. And then there was Barabel's Drugstore. And my brother worked for him for a while delivering. And then there was a good butcher there. Um, where my mother got, where my mother used to go to get meat. And then there was a, uh, a cleaners, the Underhill, Underhill Cleaners, where I worked for them for two summers. And this was an adventure, too. I worked for two summers there. They were, very, they were Polish immigrants, Jewish. They, came, they, uh, they left Poland, went to Paris, and then they went to Argentina, and then they came, to New, they came, came here. And they spoke a few languages. I mean, Polish, Yiddish, uh, French, you know. Every, people were multilingual, you know, these immigrants. And they had this, this very, and they, they were some of the nicest people I've ever worked for. They were so nice to me. Um, I used to deliver clothing for them. They were always on my side. I mean, no one complained. They always said I was doing very well. But they said, if ever there's a complaint, you know, if it, don't pay attention to them. They were always on my side. And uh, uh, they paid me, and I also got tips. And it's amazing about tips. I really learned something those two songs about getting tips. I used to go up Eastern Parkway where people were more affluent. And I would get, this, I would get like 15 cents tip, you know. Now, th now don't forget, this is 1966 and 60. This is 1965 and 66. And if you got a quarter, a quarter tip was pretty standard. Uh, it, it wasn't like today. A quarter, a quarter you could do something with in those days. Uh, so quarter was standard. Most people would give me a quarter. And most of the people were very nice. They actually were all very nice. There were a few people that only gave me 15 cents, or they would leave it with the maid, you know, they weren't there. Uh, there were a few that didn't give me anything, but that was rare. There were very few complainers. Uh, then there was, uh, I remember I, I delivered to these people once, I think they lived in, they lived in, uh, on, uh, I don't remember the number, it might have been, it might have been 63 Eastern Parkway, right across the street from, almost across the street from the museum. I would go in there and there was this woman, she was, she was she, woman and her husband, she was gorgeous. And her husband was very nice, and they gave me a big tip. And they were English, they had a British accent. Never forget them, because they were so nice, and, and uh, the woman was a knockout. <laughs> I mean, I was, uh, this was 1966, so I was 20, and she was probably in her 30s, so. Uh, then I used to uh, go over to, uh, to Plaza Street and deliver. Got good tips there. The best tips, you wouldn't believe, were on St. John's Place. And these were the poorer people. 
the poorest people gave the best tips. I remember this African-American lady. She gave me a dollar tip. Can you imagine a dollar in those days? Uh, and that was the highest tip I ever got. And then there were these other oh, people who would give me 50 cents there. The people who could, you know, who could afford the least gave the most. I remember going there, there was these Italian immigrants went upstairs, they wanted me to stay for dinner. Unbelievable how nice people were. And, and it seems that the, that the immigrants and the poorer ones were the nicest. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I have nothing but good memories of, of life in those days. Things are not like that anymore. Uh, you don't have the personal touch. I mean, how many people would ha ask you to stay for dinner now? You know? <laughs> Is there uh, anything else that we haven't covered that you'd like to speak about? I'm trying to think now. No, I can't think of anything offhand. Though, if you could ask me questions, I might be able to. If you have questions, I can answer them for you. Um, I'd say the only other question I really uh, had is, uh, what, what did you do when you got back from college? Oh, oh well, I, I, I worked for Bennett Brothers for a while. That's a, they, they, they were in Manhattan. They, they would, what they would do is they had merchandise that they would uh, send out to people who would order by, from a catalog. Worked for them for a while, then I got, I got an MA at Ohio State. I got an MA in history, and I've been doing... Uh, I've been doing, uh, working in, li I've worked in libraries for a long time. And then uh, since in 1987, I, w I worked for a uh, firm that did archaeological excavations because uh, for the, they were working with landmarks because when you're going to level some buildings and build, you ha have to check it out with landmarks to, to make sure that there's nothing there. That, that should be preserved. So I did the documentary research for them. And then I started doing this type of research on my own for individual clients. And since 1990, that's what I've been doing. Well, that's pretty exciting. Um, well, thank you for your time, Mark. I appreciate it. Right. <laughs>